our life in Christ always seems to begin with with people. Uh, Jesus' value for people is demonstrated in the incarnation itself. He he cares so deeply about people that God, who is spirit, took on a body. It's a theological mystery to wonder how Jesus was always uh, Jesus. Was he not in a body prior to the incarnation? Did he um, just, was he just spirit and then took on flesh? Well, that's what the incarnation tells us, but he was very much a persona. Uh, very much a, a figure. He, he was before Abraham. You know, Jesus said, "Before Abraham was, I am." And in the I amness of God is the entirety of the Trinity. Whenever you see Jesus say, "I am," he's equating himself with in union with Father and Son. That's why Philippians says he didn't thought didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant in the body of the man, Jesus Christ. Uh, the humility of God is seen in Christ. The eternity of Christ is seen in God. And so the, the beauty of the incarnation is that God took on flesh in Christ and it remains to this day. That's kind of important for us because humanity wasn't just simply an afterthought it's it's the it's we are you know the as the bible says workmanship it's artistic creation of god expressing himself uh in art in creativity and expression uh just as the painting is not the painter so we are not god but he created in humanity a self portrait animated by his own spirit you say, wow, that means he fills us. Well, he fills all things. What doesn't he fill? What doesn't he touch? So in humanity, we see the, 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 the beauty of the love of God to create creatures that have a will, or at least the appearance of a will. And, and no matter what we choose, he loves us. That's the crazy reality of it, that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. It's just the Bible's way of saying humanity at its worst and most helpless and most destructive was still loved enough by God for God to sacrifice himself for us. So God cares deeply about humanity. We, as we grow in our, in our awareness, the things of the Lord, we have a tendency, I think, to increase in our compassion for humanity as well. We begin, I think, in this this life. Um, we start out having having friends, making friends with everybody as a kid, and then you start to realize that there's good and bad, right and wrong, uh, evil and righteousness, and and you start creating a rules system, uh, justice button forms in your heart, and uh, and you have values now, and many people govern their entire life by their values, and I think that's important. But there does come a point in your life where you are going to be challenged between having a value for relationships or a relationship with your values, but not both. That's the difficult part. And uh, and in that moment, you get to decide really how much you deeply care about people. 
if you don't care about people too, too much, it's easy to flush those relationships and then just turn to your values as, as, um, uh, as, as the steady plumb line toward your, toward your true North of, uh, of walking through and navigating this life. At the same time, when your value for relationship outweighs your relationship with your values, you might find yourself feeling like my love for this person, my continued relationship with this person seems to be putting me in an area of compromise because um, we're walking two different paths, but but they're they're not changing. And uh, and, and now we have this desire to change people. Well, it's really hard if you have a have a child that's walking a different path than you're walking. Now you have to decide, are my are, is my value for my relationship uh, bigger than my relationship with my values? doesn't mean you have to compromise your values, but it just means that your your love for the person causes you to to um, to lay down your need to be right in favor of your desire to be one. Uh, being one, by the way, just simply means that the door is open for you to have a voice of influence in in their life and you give them the freedom to speak to you, whether you agree with what they say or not. Uh, I, I think of, and I've mentioned this book many, many times. I've been reading, I read uh, James Fowler's book, Stages of Faith, which was, I think, published in early 80s, 1981. And uh, it is a grandiose piece of academic work. I tell you what, it, it is such a mind melter. Uh, he did a follow-up book on uh, pastoral care, which was, it's called Faith Development Pastoral Care. Uh, and I've just actually started that one. And what he did with that one is he spiritually, um, he took the stages of faith and he expanded upon them to hopefully lead us in a direction that I think prophetically he saw that the church needed to go. Now, you've heard, if you heard me talk about the stages of faith, which I've talked about quite extensively lately, did this, this will be old hat for you. But if you're new to this, Tonight, I just want to go over them very, very briefly and then tell you why I'm talking about it tonight. Uh, the stages of faith are seven, essentially, and they run from zero to six. And stage zero is you believe there's a God. Stage one is that you actually want to know the God that you now believe in. Uh, stage two is where you're developing a, a system of, of rules, right and wrong. What does this God think? How does this God, how do we engage with this God? What are the terms of the engagement here? Uh, you develop the, the justice part of you in that stage. Stage three is the tribal stage. In other words, you figure out somebody else has figured out the rules better than me. Which of these groups have figured out the rules better than anybody else? And so you choose your tribe. And uh, I was thinking about this when I was going through the book. I was going, my goodness, how many tribes have I been a part of? And I'm not just talking about churches. I'm talking, talking about denominations. My short 50 years of life, I have connections with the Quakers via my grandfather, the Wesleyan Methodists and Nazarenes because of my dad and grandfather, uh, the uh, Christ for the Nations, which was an independent mission school that was highly tied to the Assemblies of God, ended up being an Assembly of God church uh, shortly after that, uh, being at, at an Assembly of God church for a dozen years uh, as a pastor in one of their churches. From there, it was led to Bethel Church, which is a whole revival stream of culture of IHOP and Vineyard and all those different things that are somewhat loosely and relationally connected in a charismatic, prophetic um, stream. Uh, of course, out here in in Florida, ended up at a Presbyterian church for a short period of time, for about three years. And, uh, and, and that leads you into traditional Reformed Calvinism, which is a different animal altogether. 
And, uh, and, and now, I mean, who knows what, and I think about th things like cathedral of praise back in Austin, we had no idea what in the world that was that I still don't even know how to define that. I think that came out of church on the rock in Rockwell, Texas, which was pastored and led by a guy named Larry Lee many years ago, who was famous for his sermon on prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer specifically. But, uh, nonetheless, cathedral kind of took on a crazy, crazy life of its own. So I've been a part of a lot of tribes and stage three is where you really are in your uh yeah jerry says stages of faith is dense and academic but it's fascinating right yes it, you see yourself in it it's not like he's making this stuff up it's highly researched and very well thought out he was a professor at harvard and i mean he wasn't he's no academic slouch by any means so uh so if you hang out in your tribe long enough you begin to realize your tribe doesn't really know everything and as you uh uh realize, my goodness, my tribe is not right about everything. Often people will back up into stage two, reacquaint themselves with the rules and go into another tribe. And so it's almost like backing in and out of parking spaces. And pretty soon you can kind of get tired of the parking lot mentality of the whole thing and trying to find the most right tribe. And you enter into stage four, which is the disillusionment stage, which leads to deconstruction, which can lead to destruction. So it's almost like at this stage, it's the most crucial because it can lead you off the path altogether. It's not like a level's going higher. It's a path going further. So it can lead you off the path altogether, or it can uh, it can cause you to come to this place where you embrace the paradoxes of things you don't understand. And if you can make it through stage four, or you know what I've kind of termed as the disillusionment stage, um, then you hit stage five, which is the mystic stage. The the mystic uh, stage being not not new age weirdness. Mystic stage is where you're embracing the mysteries of things. As we begin tonight, how can Jesus be fully God, fully man? How can he be fully spirit and fully flesh? How can he be 100% God, 100% man? Uh, the hypostatic union of the reality of the spirit being 100% and the flesh being 100%. He's no less man than he is God, no less God than he is man. He is the culmination of all things held together in him. All things in the spiritual world and all things in the physical world come together, held together, created by, in, through, and for Christ. So uh, it, he is uh, he is the, the visible representation of that uh, synergy, that union between all matter and antimatter. He's, he is just, I, I don't even understand any of that stuff. I just read about it. I, I read about quantum physics and the non-locality of matter and how you split an atom and put part of it in New York and part of it in LA and you reverse the polarity in one and it reverses instantly on the other as if there was no distance between the two. Uh, which which means that quantum scientists have figured out there is no such thing as space. <laughs> it's it's a perceived illusion from those who are most aware of a physical existence. But the reality is that there's some level or of a realm um, within existence that even has leaked into physicality in the quantum field of things for which space is completely irrelevant. The, the hypothesis, they could take a, half of an atom and put it a billion light years away from the other half and it would still have the exact same effect. So, um, so we all may be closer than we think. I don't know, you know, what, what you want to do with that. 
I don't know how to understand all that stuff. I can try to, we can try to scientifically make guesses at it. We can try to spiritualize it. Uh, but the reality is, is, is we don't have, we don't have the capacity, I think, to put into language uh, the, the mysteries the Bible has unfolded for us. In him, the Bible says all things exist. All things consist in him. And he holds all things together. Uh, David made a made a, a reference to it in the Psalms. Where can I go to flee from your spirit? Where do I go to get away from your presence? And then he draws theological parallels between heaven and hell, saying, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Well, that makes no sense theologically. Why? Because one seems to be so distant and separate from the other. Until you read the middle of Revelation, you begin to realize those in, in fire and those in party are actually in the same stream, the river that's flowing out from beneath the throne. It's uh, two groups of people having two completely different responses to the exact same scenario, which is the consuming fire of the love of God. For one, it's heaven, and for the other, it's hell. It's our response to the, the, uh, the, the that world. And so we have to create these things of distance and separation. We have to create the illusion of separation. But in Christ, it's all one. I don't understand how that works. Uh, people have been trying to make sense of it theologically for years. Where do you go when you come to the realization that you just don't know? Well, you hang out in stage five and you realize, maybe I am a mystic. Um, uh, if, you, if you don't like things you don't understand, you'll back up all the way down to stage two. And I lived there for years. I felt like there's a time in my, in my, my life and my walk with the Lord where the, the Lord said, I want you to preach beyond your understanding. And some of you may have remembered or heard the story of the, the rain that fell in the sanctuary of our church in Austin uh, called Calvary Worship Center many, many years ago. Steve Wilson was uh, part of that church back in those days. Uh, Marlene knew us before that even happened. Uh, uh, the Rick and Tracy Sullivan were a part of, of Calvary many, many years ago back uh, before that. Uh, you know, when all of that took place, I, I was locked into this thing of going, if I'm not an expert in something, or if at least I don't feel like an expert in something, I don't even know how to teach it. So I, I would research and do all kinds of things before I would, you know, preach and preach a message or preach a sermon. And part of it was being a young minister. I was scared to death that somebody's going to come to me and prove me wrong about something. So I don't want to guess about anything. And so I, I just over-researched everything. The problem in researching things is, especially when it came to the things of the spirit, is I ran in headlong into a lot of things I didn't understand. So what I did is I just confined my entire spiritual world, my, my understanding of Christ, down into something that I could understand and explain super easily. You say, well, isn't that the point? I mean, you want to make it childlike and, 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 and uh, you know, put the cookie jar on the bottom shelf, like I tell the quantum preaching students, so that everybody can get it. But the reality is that children are more mystic than anybody else. I mean, children children can look at a, a, a you know a, a bed and see a, a pirate ship. You know, they they have the ability to to awaken a, an imagination that can take them to worlds that that they create in the limitless boundaryless zone of their mind, and and they can live in that world for for a time. And you see them running around the house, you know, and um, shooting with their finger and you know bows and arrows, whatever kids play these days lightsabers and lasers out of broomsticks and stuff you know you, you you look at kids and go well these are just little mystics what are they doing they're creating a world uh where one doesn't exist they're seeing it they're 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 living it they're playing in it they're rejoicing in it they're enjoying it they're they're feeling all the emotions that are attached to it but they're creating it they're living in the object of their own creation what could be more more um a reflection of the image and likeness of god than that 
You know, and I think that's why Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't even see the kingdom. So don't think that being a, a mystic requires that you're you're just an old, confused person. Uh, be, being a mystic requires a childlike return to wonder and uh, and the willingness to let the Lord take you to places that you don't understand. This portion of the scripture I, I, comes to mind right now when, when Jesus is trying to just talk to the disciples about what the kingdom is like. And he goes on, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like that. And they don't get it. They don't understand what he's talking about. And he says this phrase, he says, if I try to tell you of the kingdom, if I try to tell you of heavenly things in a way that makes sense to you, or in a way where I can parallel your experiences here on earth by talking about it in terms of coins and fields and pearls and gates and he says, if I try to talk to you in these terms, in earthly terms, and you don't get it, how are you going to understand when I only speak to you of heavenly things? In other words, how in the world are you going to understand a world that has no earthly parallel? Well, that reveals to us that there are some realms in God, some things of heaven that have zero earthly parallel. I think that's why Revelation is such a mystery. Uh, to people, because, you know, what John was seeing in Revelation, he does his best to try to draw an earthly parallel for the visions that he was seeing. But thanks be to God, it didn't break John's head so bad that he at least didn't give it a shot. But I think the reality is, is, is that the things of the eternal realm of, of heaven, uh, which are closer than we think, there are things in that realm that literally have zero earthly parallel. There's no word we could use to describe it. There's no shape or invention of man that could ever be used to, to say, oh, it's like this or it's like that. Um, compared to heaven, we're living in the Stone Age. Compared to eternity, we're living, uh, we're living as Neanderthals in a sense. Yet, we've been giving ev given everything pertaining to life and godliness. So in the mystic stage, we, we embrace the paradox of what we don't understand, but we don't think of it as an impossible quest. We think of it as, as an inexhaustible journey. It's an invitation to journey into something. Um, I think, I can't remember if I did this on here before, and I'm pretty sure I did, uh, where I read for you some of the the stories of the desert fathers. Uh, and if, if I did, sorry, I'm going to read a couple of them again, that this is, these are people that lived back in the third century, uh, Christians who had grabbed a hold of the gospel, laid a hold of the gospel in the first two to three centuries of Christianity. And they decided to go to Egypt to live in the desert. And, um, and create a community where all they did was seek the Lord and study uh, uh, the ancient scriptures, which for them was, what, 100 years old. So for these guys, that uh, the Desert Fathers were far more familiar with the writings of the apostles than they were with the Old Testament scriptures. Didn't mean that the Old Testament scriptures didn't have any value. They just drew a really, really clear and distinct line between the writings of the Old Covenant and the writings of the New Covenant. And they, and listen to this, this is really, really important. They lived by the writings of the New Covenant. The writings of the Old Covenant were reference, reference points. 
they use them to question things or bring bring up questions to which they would find the answers within the context of the new covenant. And most of the answers that they found all had to do with Jesus. So as Hebrews says, they fixed their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So these were level five people, totally, completely. There's no tribe necessarily to be a part of. There's no denomination or denominationalism back then. These are just people with like passion who decided to remove as many distractions from life as possible. And uh, if you if you weren't on a Tuesday, which I think I did this on a Tuesday, I know I was in a ministry school recently where I got up and read this. <clears throat> um, there's uh, the story of Abba Siosis, who uh, was with Abba Macarius, and seven went out to reap with him. So they worked in a field together. And a widow followed after them, gleaning, and ceased not to weep. And the old man cried to the Lord of the estate and says, what's the matter with the old woman who weeps continually? said her husband took out a deposit of money from a man, and then he died suddenly without saying where he hid it. And the owner of the deposit wishes to take her and her children as slaves. And Abbasiosi says, tell her to come to us at the place where we rest at the season of noon. She comes and he asks her and she tells him the story. The old man says, show me where you have laid your husband, your dead husband. <clears throat> he took her brothers with him. And went with her, and having arrived at the place where the man was laying, the old man said, Get out to your house. And when she left, he prayed and cried out to the dead man and said, Of such a one, where have you laid up the deposit which belongs to the stranger? The dead man answered straightway and said, It is hidden in my house beneath the leg of the bed. The old man said, Now sleep until your resurrection. Sleep until the resurrection, not until the resurrection. When the brothers saw what had been done, they all fell down in fear. The old man said, this has not happened because of me. But God has worked this thing for the sake of this widow and the orphans. But what is great is that God desires a soul pure and sinless. The interesting thing to me about this miracle is that he didn't like raise the guy from the dead, you know, and say, like send him home alive. Like, what's up with that? Raise him just enough to find out where the money was and then put him back down again. I don't know what's up with that, but still, it makes me go, wow, that's insane. You have to be a mystic to pull that off. I mean, that's crazy. Like to even think about that. And then to, you know, I, I'm right there with the guys who would all fall down on the ground out of fear. Uh, this one, this one catches this. I think this is funny. There's a ton of these, but I just pulled out some highlights. Abimanelius was passing through a certain place, saw a man holding a monk by force as if he had committed murder. The old man drew near and questioned the brother. And when he learned he was being wrongfully accused, he said to those who had seized him, tell me where the murdered man is laid. They showed him. The old man drew near to the murdered man and said, let us pray. And when he spread out his hands in prayer before God, the dead man rose up. The old man said to him before every man, tell, it, tell us who it was who slew you. And he answered and said, I went into a church and gave some money to an elder. It was he who rose up and killed me and carried me out and threw me in the habitation of this monk. I entreat you that the goods which I have given to him may be taken back and given to my children. Again, I guess it wasn't enough just to raise this guy and leave him raised. You just raise him up to get information and put him down again. I don't, it's just it's just wild. Uh here's some some funny ones he says uh they say uh the writer here says the face of abba pombo and the old men abba moses 
and, and uh, uh, Sylvanus and Siosis, the faces of these men, so devoted to seeking the Lord, glowed, glowed and shone like the sun. And at night, they would read and work by the light of their own countenance. Multiple monks literally working by the light of their own countenance. Okay, so that's just that's just nuts. I just think that's the coolest thing. <clears throat> that's that to me is what's available to us in this in this life, in this world. When we live with the comforts of the modern age, our modern age, and and the inventions that keep us distracted from moment to moment and day to day, the question I think I, I have is what do we miss out on when when 100% of our reliance is upon human invention, ingenuity, entertainment, comfort, and leisure. What is available to us in the things of the spirit that we haven't taken hold of and laid access to, laid hold of or taken access to, that we bypass because we have become so civilized. Uh, I think it's amazing what we could do if we had less distraction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. You know, it's like how do you how do you dive into that stuff? Well, the goal really wasn't to stay at stage five. According to James Fowler, he said the goal was ultimately to get to stage six. Where in stage five, you learn the the value and the importance of of boiling everything in this life, spirit, soul, and body down to one thing, and that is love. That's the agape, the purity of of knowing Christ, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. If you've ever wondered the mystery behind that, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. <clears throat> People have often taken that particular verse and gone, well, um, I, I really want to know him in, in all of the power that's available to me in the, in the resurrection. But then when it says the fellowship of his sufferings, that means that I have to be willing to suffer for the sake or for the cause of Christ. All of those things are true, but there's a higher revelation to that scripture, and it really has to do with the fact that Think of it in terms of a marriage relationship. It's it's the the idea that um, uh, when you when you are in love with somebody, you get married to somebody. You you what do you do? You commit to go with them in sickness and in health and all things. You're actually committing to walk with them in everything. And uh, I mean, <laughs> you're saying I I will I will I won't let pleasure and I won't let pain and I won't let uh, wealth, and I won't let suffering deter me from this union. That's essentially what you're saying. And I may know him in the power of his resurrection, fellowship of sufferings is saying, I'm I'm so joined to the bridegroom that his life is my life. His, his world is my world. If he suffers, I'll suffer too. If he laughs, I'll laugh too. It's, it's, um, it's the idea of all of the, the mystery of the union or the mysteries of the New Testament, the new covenant are explained, wrapped up, and revealed within the context of union. <clears throat> so love becomes the preeminent thing. You realize this in the mystic stage and you learn how to demonstrate and show love. But when you get to stage six, you learn how to become love. The compassion of heaven guides everything, every single thing you do. And that's kind of where we started tonight is, is with this, this revelation of Of the things of the spirit and the things of the flesh, God in Christ taking on flesh, loved 
people so deeply that he gave his life to redeem, ransom, and, and rescue humanity. Even in our corrupted state, he still loves us. Um, one of the things I think that I, I had a, a revelation of this past week, and going back to Austin, uh, I saw people that I've known for 30 years more, uh, people who have been in my life for that long, people who we've sowed into in ministry, who went to our churches, who sat in our schools and classes and and watching people come up and person after person after person saying, uh, you know, sometimes you can kind of get to the point where you're going, you know, does anybody remember anything you ever said or is anything is anything we've ever done in ministry ever count? And then when you see hundreds of people in a room who are who are somehow where they are today because of that influence, it has a it has a dramatic impact on you. And honestly, one person would have that kind of an impact. I was doing a conference with Lynn Hiles one time. Lynn is a, a an old general of the faith who I love dearly. And if he, if he heard me say he was old, he'd probably punch me in the nose. Um, but he's older than me. And Lynn, uh, Lynn and I were doing this conference one time. And at one point I just turned to him and I just told him, man, uh, you have made such an impact on my life. Read your first book 25 years ago and couldn't put it down. It's been an indispensable part of my, my, uh, my diet as a, as a believer. And, and I just, I mean, I went on and on and on and on. And he looked at me with the most bewildered look. And this was his response. I thought he'd say, wow, thank you. That really means a lot. That seems like the typical answer. But no, Lynn looks at me and goes, why don't you pick up the phone? <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, why don't you pick up the phone and tell a guy? He says, you know how many times I'm almost quit the ministry over the years? You should pick up the phone and tell tell people these things once in a while. You know, it's one thing to... Uh, to learn how to demonstrate compassion is another learn another thing to learn how to be loved. And, you know, and when and when you become loved, the thing is you become also unoffendable, thoroughly unoffendable, and uh, your love for people begins to 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 transcend pretty much everything. And uh, and the crazy part about it is you don't love people for the purpose of changing them. You love people purely for the purpose uh, of, that they're made in the image and likeness of God for that reason alone. And you begin to just be in awe and wonder uh, of, of them everywhere you go. And as that wonder and that awe increases, people are seen. And when they're seen, something about that, the desire of the nations, which is one of the names for Jesus, who lives in you, begins to draw them uh, uh, to you. Uh, people uh, want to know that they've been seen. And when you love, you are looking. Uh, you don't see people without compassion. That's the thing. I mean, they, you can see people with the eyes of the flesh, and and uh, and that could be offensive. But you see people through the eyes of compassion, and they know they are seen in that moment. Have you ever had that feeling? You ever had that overwhelming sense where you catch the heart of the Father for somebody, and you see him? You look him straight in the eye. Oh my goodness! You see beyond the costume, and you see the person made in the image and likeness of God. You might as well be staring into the eyes of Christ. And the crazy part about it is, is when you see somebody that deeply. Their eyes fill with tears. It's, it's as, as if they've been found. They were lost and they've been found. That's the thing. Um, we often think that our, our words are what bring people to faith in Christ and sound is power. But the, the sound that comes from your words begins with the sound of your spirit. Spirit forms words and those words 
uh, reveal the sound of heaven, the heart of the Father, or something else entirely. Uh, but when it reveals the heart of the Father, the one who is the desire of the nations, shows up and and draws people to him, draws the authentic, real person to the surface so that they uh, behold, many times behold themselves for the first time just by looking in the mirror of your eyes. Something about that. I feel like if there's one thing we can encourage the body of Christ to in our lifetime, all of our lifetime, is to to become love. Not just a message we preach, but a message we live. It's who we are. And uh, I, I love that. I mean, the gospel is the gospel is not a message about here's you know five steps to get to heaven. The gospel is all about a relationship that was restored. It's all about a family torn apart by sin, the illusion of distance and separation brought back together again in one single solitary act, and that is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, brought us up out of the grave with him when we didn't even know enough to say a sinner's prayer. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me read you a couple of scriptures tonight. And, and tonight, if you if you think of a person that is responsible for you coming to Christ or had a, had a huge part of you coming to faith in Christ, um, maybe pick up the phone, reach out. Uh, give them a call. Uh, I want to uh, have you guys just take a look at a couple of scriptures uh, with me tonight. When we look at, at Jesus, you say, okay, I, I'll go back. I know some of you are thinking, go back to the thing about raising the dead and glowing in the dark. That's super cool. Everybody likes that. Um, there's a danger in pursuing power without presence. And I think that's been that's been probably the Achilles heel of the revivalist movement for the past 20 years is it's drawn a lot of people into pursuing power, the power of God, apart from just the presence of God. And they'll tolerate the presence of God to get the power of God. But the church has never been about being like Hogwarts for Christians. This is not, this is not about gaining power here. This is, this is about knowing that we are powerful only because who we're connected with. It's our fixation on Jesus Christ the author and finisher of our faith that gives us access to the resurrection power that comes from him, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in you. It's not something that's given to you autonomously apart from him independently to, to do with as you wish. Everything we do is lived in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. So whatever authority, power, anointing, oil, grace that's on your life, it's not meant to be utilized apart from relationship with, with the Lord. So how in the world do we walk in that? How did these guys, how did these desert fathers walk in this kind of stuff? I think they were so fixated and connected with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Keep in mind, death has always been the biggest threat to humanity. And so if there was a possibility that death could be overcome, my goodness, that just opened up a whole world of possibilities. In Acts chapter, I think it's Acts 16, where Paul goes to Athens uh, and and he begins to preach the gospel. They love everything he's saying until he mentions parts about the resurrection from the dead, and then they don't want anything to do with it anymore. And the reason is, is because that was the holy grail of all spiritual thought. There were magicians and sorcerers and soothsayers and witches and all those kind of folks, enchanters. All those people went around doing all kinds of things, but when it came to actually resurrection from the dead, that was the part that seemed like nobody could overcome. Uh, the legend in, in Jewish folklore was that a person had to be dead three days to be really, really, really dead, truly dead. And uh, and that's why Jesus didn't, didn't go and raise Lazarus from the dead until the fourth day. 
because uh, it's a messianic miracle that pointed to him as Messiah. The Messiah could overcome death without excuse, and death without excuse was, was anybody who was dead for more than three days. But even the Jews knew that there was power beyond the grave. Bones of Elijah, it's like laying in the grave, the prophets just laying there in a hole, um, had no respect for the, the prophets. And here comes a, a, some folks along who had a, a guy who had died. They throw the, the soldier in on the bones of the prophet. And he lands on top of the bones of the prophet, springs to life, crawls out of the grave and continues living. So if a dead person under the old covenant had the power to raise the dead, how much more are you and I under the new covenant? We have access to more resurrection, life and power in, in, in our dead bodies. There's that power. So how do we access it within the context of this life? We do it simply by walking in surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. I think the prophet had a chance to do it. Elisha, Elijah, and all the prophets had that kind of power hidden in their bones because their lives were completely laid down in full-on surrender to the Lord and everything that they did. And uh, and when we surrender to the voice of the Lord, uh, something about the power of God just starts leaking out through us in unexpected and seemingly supernatural ways. Understand, there's no such thing as a supernatural in the realm of heaven. In the heaven, it's all just known as natural. That's just natural, you know. So um, when we when we want to like think about how do we access that level five, six, walking by compassion, living with the mystery of 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 things in the unseen realm, reaching beyond the unseen realm, we look at Jesus. Uh, Jesus is our pattern in how to walk in holiness, in righteousness, in perfection, in power before the Father. Jesus demonstrates a relationship with the Father, not for the purpose of us just watching what he was doing and trying to figure out how is Jesus, who is God, talking to God, the Father, who is God? How, how is he having a conversation? I don't understand how this works. Now, he was doing everything he was doing for our benefit. Bill Johnson's pointed this out so beautifully for years by saying phrases like, Jesus is the most normal Christian in the Bible. He lives in consistent union with the Father. And, and I think here's one of the keys to the thing. He prioritized. Uh, you want to know how to walk in true spiritual power and authority. He prioritized his relationship with the Father even above his relationship with people made in the image and likeness of the Father. He would leave the disciples for a time to go away to spend time with the Father. You say, well, I thought ministry to people was ministry to the Father. In Ezekiel 44, there's a, a fascinating story of um, two different groups of priests. And we can land on this tonight. These two different groups of priests had two very different reactions to the presence of God. One of them was one group uh, had no issue with the presence of God whatsoever in terms of they had no relationship with the presence of God. The, 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 the Bible was just stories, stories without power, a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. And because of this, they, would, uh, they wouldn't keep the sanctuary in a place of holiness. Keep in mind, under the Old Covenant, the, the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place and the Temple and the Sanctuary was a place where God literally was dwelling, His manifest glory was there, and they wouldn't uh, keep it. And God comes to them one day and he says, you guys are profane the sanctuary. You guys aren't taking this seriously. That's my paraphrase. And he says, and because of that, you don't, you guys can still minister to people, but you don't get to minister to me. It's an interesting phrase that God says here when he says, you, you don't get to minister to me. Because now he draws a distinction between ministry to him 
and ministry to people made in his image and likeness. People we're supposed to love, lay our lives down for, give a life for, whatever. Then he turns to another group, and they're called the sons of Zadok. And the sons of Zadok, he says to these guys, he goes, you guys have kept my name. In other words, you've kept the integrity of my, the truth of my identity. And he says, and you haven't profaned my, my sanctuary. And he says, because of that, it is to you to come near unto me. So one group of priests gets to keep their job and ministry to the people, but they didn't don't get to minister to the Lord. The other group of priests get the privilege of ministering to the Lord, to minister to him first. And we see here, I think, a key in walking in spiritual power is recognizing that ministry to people is beautiful, but it's there's a higher ministry that we have, and that's ministry to him. When our attention and our affection is on the presence of the Lord above everything else, his anointing and his power will flow through us to minister to people. We will minister to people as an ambassador of the one who we have been fixated on and focused with. Chris Fallotton preached a, me a message so many years ago, I love so dearly, called Mission, uh, Mission Apostle, where he talked about uh, that the, the term apostle was a Phoenician naval term, and Cyrus uh, had conquered pretty much all the known world at the time, and he had conquered, had recently conquered the city of Tyre, and had sent out, was sending out, or wanting to send out the city of Tyre. Might be a different story. He conquered a coastal city, and he he wanted to send out a delegation to this city. And as he starts sending out delegations, before he did, he brought a, a person around him who would have so much of a depth of relationship with the king that they would know everything the king liked, the, the colors, the smells, the fragrances, the type of building, what he, the standards he kept, what he preferred in his kingdom. And he made that person a part of the, uh, the, the armada, the navy, to go up and down the coast. And after spending considerable amounts of time with the king, uh, almost to the point where their own desires have now been fashioned after the desires of the king, they would be deployed to places that the king had conquered. In their deployment, the apostolo was the term. The apostolo would step off the boat, look around, and go, change that, change that, that doesn't belong, clean that up, do this differently, and teach the people how the king expected them to be. The point of the apostolo's job was to be an ambassador of the king so that when the king eventually came to visit the lands that he had conquered, when he stepped off the boat and looked around, that kingdom would look just like his home. And when Jesus sends out the disciples, he borrows that term, that Phoenician naval term. I send you out as apostolos. We just say, well, it just means sent one or one sent. But it had a much deeper meaning in that culture than that. It was one sent as an ambassador of the will of another to enforce that will in the world that they were sent to. So you weren't just sent out just to live and be a part of the world. You were sent out with the heart of the king beating in your chest. So everywhere you went, you carried the authority of understanding what the king, what the king uh, uh, tolerated, liked, didn't like, wanted changed, whatnot. Well, when Jesus sends out the disciples in Matthew 10, he says, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Why does he do that? Because none of those things exist in heaven. 
There's no sick. There's no lepers. There's no cancer. There's no demons. There's no devils in heaven. So he sends us out as Apollos, sent ones with the authority of the king behind us to enforce the victory of the cross. Uh, he tells us nothing's impossible for us. What does that even mean? Nothing's impossible. I've tried to I've tried to go after things that are impossible many times and didn't work out. But what does it mean when nothing's impossible for us? Uh, the 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 word nothing. There's a fascinating uh, term there which says nothing shall be impossible with God. The word nothing is um, is is no rhema. Actually, it's a, there's one verse that picks this out where it says like no rhema, no thing. And unfortunately, it's just translated and compounded into the word nothing. Nothing shall be impossible with God. But the word rhema simply means a freshly spoken word of God. So possible means without the ability to perform, you know, uh, or has carries the ability to perform. So when it says nothing shall be impossible, it's saying no freshly spoken word of God shall be released without the ability to perform it which is why when Peter was in the boat and saw Jesus out in the water and said, if it's you, tell me to come, he wasn't, because anything could have said come, you know, it, it could have been anything out there that could have been like, yeah, sure, fine, come on. But he knew that if it was Jesus, when he spoke, things changed. Things in the physical bowed to him. Wind and waves bowed to him. Stuff that was in the nat natural world bowed to him. And so, Peter steps out of the boat, I don't think on the strength of his own faith or on the idea that, well, maybe this will work. He steps out, putting his foot down on the word that was spoken. Jesus tells him to come, and he steps out right on that word. Nothing shall be impossible with God. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you. This is an old Jack Taylor quote. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not have the ability to perform itself. That's the idea. Uh, no freshly spoken word of God. Remember Jack saying this many times. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own power to see itself performed. <clears throat> when Jesus said nothing is impossible with God, that's a no-brainer. God can do anything. But then he goes on to say nothing is impossible with those who believe. To believe is simply just, it's a simple word, just means to think to be true. It means I, I hear what the Lord says and I consider the truth and the weight of it. I take it as true, and I hold it to my heart. So if God says this is possible, I can do it. Now, you can find the word of the Lord, the true word of the Lord, a couple of different places. You can find it in the scriptures. But you also find it through the witness of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in the moment that you're standing in. In the moment you're standing in, you may be encountering an impossible situation. You may be encountering a, um, you know, pick it any old impossible situation that you come up with. In that moment, you need to know what to do. And in that moment of needing to know what to do, it's not enough just to hear good advice from people. you got to hear his voice. To hear his voice requires that you have a relationship with him. It means embracing mystery. I don't think you're going to find it so much just in the rules. In the rules, you're going to find things that the word has spoken. And you can take the written word so far, but the living word will take and put life on the written word. The Bible says, Jesus said, the letter kills, the spirit gives life. So the living word actually breathes life into the written word. In other words, you may be facing an impossible situation and suddenly a scripture verse comes to mind. Where'd that come from? The living word, repeated, breathed into you, a written word that you can hang on to. That moment right there, that's a rhema moment for you. You're not just ripping a verse out of context. 
God just dropped that into your heart. That becomes your scripture for that season, for that moment, that time. My mom, who's on this call somewhere tonight. Oh, there you are. Hi, mom. Good to see you. Mom has at her desk where she's sitting always a set of three by five cards. I bet they're within reach, aren't they? Are they are they within reach right now? There they are right there. That stack of cards, see how thick that stack is. That stack of cards contains handwritten. Do me a favor and hold it right up to the camera. Hold the, hold the cards just right up to the camera so people can see the writing on it. That stack of cards contains years of beautifully scripted, such great handwriting. Mom, amazing. Beautifully scripted handwritten verses that God, at certain times of her life, walking through my dad's illness, whatever challenge they happen to be going through, certain scriptures that that God spoke to her heart by the Holy Spirit, the living word, revealed the written word, and she decided to make, make it personal. It's the way she learns and wrote it down in longhand in script on three by five cards and then keeps adding it to the stack. There's nothing about those verses more important you know, than any others. God might speak something different to you, but that's the way that she has grabbed it, captured it, held on to it, and carried it all, all, uh, all, all the years that I've known her. She's always had a stack of these cards. Why? Because a prophetic word of the Lord comes to her, she writes it down, and that becomes life. Um, you know, this can become like a meal to you. Uh, Jesus said, I have food that you know not of, and they were trying to get him to eat. Um, the, the word is the bread of heaven. There's something about that, that, that carries weight and life on it. And, uh, and we starve our spirits when we don't let the living word reveal the written word to us, capture it and carry it in the moment. Uh, I want you to think, um, one, one little piece of homework tonight. I want you to think about the last thing that God spoke to you through his word. You don't have to write this down. You don't have to put this in the, uh, um, in the uh, chat or anything, but I want you to think just for yourself about the last thing God spoke to you through his word. When God speaks something to you through his word, write it down or put it in your phone, get a note program, note taking program or something. It may be something you hear in a message. It may be something you hear in one of these Tuesday nights. Uh, different things stand out to different people. If I asked you tonight, what stood out to you tonight in the past hour that I've been rambling? I think a lot of people would say a lot of different things. Why? Because Whatever is coming at you in the moment, if your ears, the ears of your spirit are tuned to hear it, God will highlight something specific. And you wonder why that, you know, why did I hear it this way? And everybody else heard something completely different, you know, focused on something, but I heard this because that's what you need in this moment. And the crazy thing is the Lord knows what you have need of before you even ask it. Often God will highlight a word to you that won't make any sense in the moment. But hang on, because it'll be something that will be an answer for you when a question in the future arises. That's just kind of what the Lord does. So I love going over when I go over to mom's place and I look through her scripture cards and 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 try to figure out how in the world her handwriting is just so amazing. Uh, anyway, okay. Let's open this up for some Q&A and conversation. Let's talk about mystics and and mysteries and compassion and becoming love and uh, anybody how many of you have been a part of more than three tribes in your life 
you know, one thing about the, the tribal system is that it makes you feel like you belong. Um, the, one of the you know best ways to have a common friendship is to have a common enemy. And so many tribes are built around common enemies. Um, the Baptists don't like the Pentecostals. The Pentecostals don't like the Catholics. The Catholics don't like anybody. You know, uh, uh, everybody sort of like gathers around their tribe by having a common enemy. And um, and when you're at that mystic stage, though, it feels like you're sort of at a 30,000 foot view where you you oh, I'll get to number seven in a second. You have that 30,000 foot view where you start to see all the tribes and you start to pick out the beauty of each one. And you start looking at the body of Christ as a singular entity with many expressions in one head, who is Jesus. And, uh, and, and your heart breaks because you just wish they can play together nicely. Uh, okay. Somebody asked, what is, what is number seven? Uh, well, <laughs> the way it's numbered, there are seven but he started with zero. So I went through that pretty quick. Uh, he starts with, I don't know why he starts, but stage zero is the first stage. So when we got to six, that is number seven. Again, you'd think a smart guy would just start with one for the rest of us simple folks. But he started at zero and then said there are seven stages of faith and counts from zero to six. And I just think he did that to confuse us all. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrate recovery all from different backgrounds. That's so true. So true. Presence over power spoke. Awesome. Love it, Dennis. Can't wait to see you guys in Providence coming up here in a, in a few weeks. If any of you happen to be in Northern Minnesota at all, uh, we'll be in Bemidji, Minnesota. If you know people in Minnesota, please reach out to them. We'll be in Bemidji. Yeah, we'll grab it. Grab it, and this is broken. So. No, no, no. Okay, let me. Look at me. Look at me. This is broken. It's broken. Yes. Your ID? I think so. I think I figured that out. You can go I think somebody accidentally unmuted. All right. So, um, <laughs> So uh, if you happen to be the mid-year up in northern Northwoods in Minnesota, I'll be at River City Church all weekend. There's a place called the Torch School that they have at School of Ministry. And we'll be there on Saturday, uh, all day Saturday, uh, Sunday morning. And then uh, I think Monday we've got a school class or something. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, if you happen to be up there. And then we're going to be in Rochester, Minnesota, Destiny Church on Tuesday night, Trace. Rochester. Wednesday night, sorry. Wednesday night, July 5th. And then in Waldorf, Minnesota, at a barn revival called the Glory Barn. We've never been there. That'll be fun. And then in La Crosse, Wisconsin, on the 9th. And that'll finish that little short little Minnesota stint. We'll be back up in Minnesota with mom a little later on in the summer. So. I don't know who that smart, the, the art smart lady is, says, I, <laughs> hey, Lorena, uh, I could definitely relate the many tribes over the past 40 odd years of being a believer. Yeah. And those are, some of those tribes are pretty odd, actually. I totally get that. All right. Anybody got any questions tonight? Just unmute yourself. It'll pop all the way up to the top and we can have a conversation. Lauren, I got uh, I got your hubby's text. I'll answer him back as soon as I jump off of this. Tell him thanks so much for reaching out and texting. 
Great, thanks. You bet. Hey, Kim, How what's going you? on tonight? Hey, haven't seen you for a while. Just want you know a quick hi. Hey. Uh, and yeah, they cut our fiber optic out in the alley today, so I'm hoping this hotspot thing doesn't fall apart while we're on. What, anyway, what do we do without fiber? Uh, I know, but uh, I the uh, a couple of months ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, having gone to sleep, sort of having a conversation with God, just trying to wrap my head around a lot of stuff that involves infinity type things. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and all it's almost like I'm hearing His voice just out loud, uh, going, "You know, we're going to be spending a lot of time together over the millennia in front of us." So there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that you're going to understand at this point. At this point, just enjoy the ride and keep following me. That's it. That's actually, that's actually one way to stay, you know, just locked into joy is recognizing that we're not missing out on anything necessarily. It's not like it's, you know, uh, uh, it's not like, oh man, we're, we're, we're missing out, you know, uh, by enjoying life as it is. I, I feel like one of the greatest ways we can glorify God is just to enjoy the world that he's made, enjoy the life that we have, uh, you know, and, and then not, not cut things short, you know, by saying, oh, we, we don't have access to these things, or we have to wait until the future. To, you know, there there's so much that God has prepared for us, and that's absolutely true. So, yeah, yeah, so good. But I think he plans uh, for us to bring all of these life experiences that we have here with us, because that will be a frame of reference even moving forward. Exactly. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to have plenty of time to reflect in the context of eternity and learn and learn. Yeah. So, yay. We won't be bored. I have, I have uh, no doubt that we won't be bored. Uh, this life alone has been pretty exciting. I I can't imagine what eternity in a limitless existence, face-to-face -face communion, unhindered, unbroken uh, communion with the Lord would be like that. That, uh, how great. I mean, yet we're already there. I mean, <laughs> oh, the mystery, the mystery of it yeah. all. I think Alicia, you had your, uh, you were unmuted for a half a second there. Sandra just popped up to the top. Hi, Sandra. Hi. Just enjoying doing? these times so much. Thank you oh, for Thank taking you time out of your schedule to spend this time with us. They're precious and so rich. Um, you. You, you asked about a scripture that the Lord had highlighted um, to us. And I was, I was thinking about when he shifted me. I mean, we think about partaking of him when we're in the word and um, taste and see that he is good and just fellowshipping with him in that place. And he has recently shifted me into revelation where he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, excuse me, I have a new puppy and she's deciding she's being. That's great. I'm sorry. No, 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 no worries. So, um, so he spoke to me and he said, it says, um, behold, if any man stand, if I stand at the door and knock, behold, if any man open, I will come in and sup with him. Yeah. And he took me into the reality of the word sup. 
And it really means to be consumed by. And so he shifted my, my sense of relationship from partaking of him to going so deeply into him that he consumes me. I love that. I, it blew me away. That is so great. It just blew, it blew me away. So that's kind of the, the stage where I, it's kind of tied to stages of faith. You know, when, yeah. when he flips, when he flips a understanding on you and, and he totally turns it around. So I just wanted to share that. It's, it's so much better than we used to, we used to tell the youth group that it was just Jesus coming in going, sup. It, it was just too easy. You just, yeah. It's the way we got, it's the way we got the youth group fascinated with King James language. They would start to begin sentences by saying, verily, verily, I say unto thee. Then it got annoying. But uh, it's so beautiful. I love that. I love that. You know, the word Eucharist, there's so much uh, power in that word Eucharist, Eucharisto. It's the it's the charis, the grace of God. It's the joy and the grace, speaks of joy and grace all together in one thing. When you're, we're consuming him uh, and communing with him, joy and grace is just part of the meal. It's on It's on the menu. I love that. Love, love, love that. Is that Revelation 3.20? I stand at the door and knock. You hear my voice open the door. Yeah, so good. And the one right after that, to him who overcomes, I'll grant you to sit with me on the throne. <laughs> That's a mind melter. And it, it, it's funny you would mention that one because he woke me up the other morning and said, this is what he spoke to me. He said, Sandra, I overcome by myself and through myself. <laughs> and I, I, what more, you know, you think about all these formulas sometimes that you go through yeah. and he just takes it down to some, it's a simplicity, but yet it's so profound and deep. It, it blew me away. I mean, I, it hit me so, so powerfully that I was like, whoa, I overcome by myself and through myself. Yes. Yes. Yeah, people always like to quote the scripture that says, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And they stop right there. Then, But it goes on to say, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So his work and my work are intrinsically entwined together. Very cool. I love it. I love it. Fellow deep thinkers. Yay. I, I love talking about things that go beyond my pay grade and understanding. Alicia, you had uh, your uh, your unmuted earlier. If you want to unmute again, you're welcome to go ahead and, and we can chat. Hi. Okay. Hi. Um, I guess I just, let's see if I can formulate this question. I like what you said or the, you know, the tip that you gave us. It's dangerous to pursue power without presence. And yeah. um you know, I'm very concerned about that. I'm concerned about how the church is loving each other, how we're loving each other, how we're all enthusiastic about the power right. and manifestations of the spirit. But I get, it's kind of weird because when, when you show up some places, you just kind of don't feel the love for each other, even though we're all having the faith for the power of the spirit and manifestations, you know? Yeah. And so I'm just, I don't know. I'm not really 
formulating a question here, but I just, you know, when Jesus says, this is how the world will know you're my disciples, by the way you love each love. other. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, okay, in that last stage that you talked about from the stages of faith book, like how, you know, how do we become love? Like, how does that tie into like the mystic stage, going from the mystic stage and finally getting to the, the love stage and just processing, you know, what we experience with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's great. That's such a good question. I think you're, I think you're, you're formulating a statement and question that's really the heartbeat of, of the Lord right now, because a lot of people have pursued, they know that power is available and they've gone after it. But the difficulty is that when a person has an experience with God and they elevate it to the point where they elevate it above study of the scriptures or time in the presence of the oil, um, if, you, if you've heard the message I've done on the wineskin, uh, that that's that's what it's talking about is is there's a three-part process to a rhythm of this life, and that is we have outpourings of power that come through us, touch people around us. But then you go back to the washing of the water of the word, and you go back to time soaking in the oil. But often when people have that outpouring of power moment, they elevate it above time in the scriptures and time in the oil. They neglect time in the word, the written word, and they neglect time with the living word. And they begin to think that because they've got the power now, then they can just go out and do whatever they want. And really, it's it's. Um, I think that the the danger of pursuing power without presence is uh, uh, what happens when we when we get a little bit of taste of power, but we don't have a surrendered will. So the surrendered will is surrendered obedience to the voice of the Lord. <clears throat> Eventually, what happens is even though initially we see incredible miracles and things happen in our hands, if we walk long enough without the written word and living word as part of our diet and a part of our life, we'll begin to think that the power is of us. And so I've watched a lot of young people over the years uh, who've gone to supernatural schools of ministry, which I love, which I teach at, which I uh, support, but they go to these mm -hmm. schools and, and if they have a greater desire to walk in power than to know him, in other words, what they do for him is, is, is their big deal. It's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. I'm like, listen, who, who you are in him is far more important than what you do for him. Mm -hmm. So uh, when, when they have an experience in God and then they walk, yeah. walk away uh, from the written word and the living word as a value mm -hmm. for their life, then pretty soon they, they come up with all kinds of weird ideas why those miracles mm -hmm. continue to happen. Well, it's the universe. It's the, you know, it's just, it's the singularity of the universe. And pretty soon they push Jesus out. So mm -hmm. um, it's my own mind, my own power, my own metaphysical ability to, you know, create with my mental. It's like pretty soon they're the ones that are actually the source of the power. And Jesus mm -hmm. is nowhere near, you know, uh, and it's really, it's kind of an amazing thing. I mean, I'm, the risk that the Lord takes in, he's always the source of the power, but he lets us be a resource. And so he delegates power to humanity. Behold, he says, I give you power and authority. So he gives power and authority to people and they can walk so autonomously apart from him in their own mind that they can actually think the power belongs to them. And a lot of people end up doing that. And pretty soon you see people who, who've seen this, you know, uh, the sick healed at their hands and seen power happen at their hands, but they're walking away from God and they don't even believe in Jesus anymore. And you're like, how did that even happen? And to them, I always ask the question, mm -hmm. what's the last thing God spoke to you through his word? And most of the time, the response mm -hmm. I get is I can't even remember the last time I opened a Bible. So there's something wow. really, really important about maintaining that, that connection with the scriptures. I think of it like soil in which we have a root system 
and that root system is watered by uh, by our time in the word and time in the oil. Mm-hmm. And and the root system in the soil of the scriptures is a big deal because then the winds of adversity can hit you from all sides and it won't knock mm-hmm. you over. I see a lot of people's faith mm-hmm. being toppled by tests and trials. And um, you guys remember what Don mm-hmm. Wallabaugh said some weeks ago or what the James, we talked about in the James study where he said that the, the verse in James, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. We think that trials mm-hmm. come to test our character. They don't. They reveal our character. Our character is forged in time in the water of the word and the oil of the mm-hmm. spirit. Um, trials come to reveal or test our faith. And, uh, mm-hmm. and if our faith, our root system isn't buried deep in the soil, of, of the word, then there's something uh, that, that makes us really easy to topple, no matter how much power we've had flow through our lives. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think there's a, you're right. There's a, there's a need for us to, to, to get back to that place of, of pursuing him. But, you know, right. the, the danger is, I don't want to like warn or beware anybody into a place of fear tonight, but, but the danger is that we can, we can see a loveless church walking in power and uh, and get really jaded against it, you know? And the thing is, is God doesn't make love a prerequisite for doing, doing uh, walking by principles. There are principles in scripture that if you apply them to your life, will produce power and produce power encounters. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Jesus says, Matthew 10, when the guys come to say, you know, hey, look, we did all this stuff in your name. He said, depart from me. I never even knew you. He's more interested in having a dynamic relationship with us than he is in us having a dynamic ministry, even if that ministry makes him look good. So what we do for him is not nearly as important as who we are in him and and uh, our time with him. I mean, John is, I think we, we think that our ministries or our life in Christ will be um, lesser than or it's gauged by how much power we've walked in. And that's not the case. Uh, John the Baptist was called by Jesus, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. And yet John never did a single miracle, never performed a mm-hmm. single sign or a single wonder. Mm-hmm. And yet he's called the greatest. So greatness in the kingdom mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the amount of power we demonstrate or walk in, has everything to do with mm-hmm. the measure of a surrendered heart. And mm-hmm. uh, there's no limit to what God will do through a person who has forgiven of sin and surrendered to the Holy spirit and how mm-hmm. much sin did the cross take care of all of it. Mm-hmm. So really there's only one question for all of us. And that's how surrendered to the spirit are we willing to be at any moment? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thanks for bringing that up tonight. I appreciate that. That was, it's good. It was good. Amazing answer. Thank you. I, are we going to get recordings of this? Cause that, that was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll put this, I'll put this out on the Dropbox. So if you, uh, I think in the, yeah, it goes out on the email every week. So as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to take the audio and drop it into the Dropbox and put it, uh, attach the date so you can, you can pull it up. Well, thank you guys mm-hmm. so much. Uh, oh, let's see. We have one more Samsung SMS. Not, it's a lot. Who's that? Who is unmuted? Oh, wait, Lorena, the smart lady has her hand up. That's a hand up. That's cool. That's a neat feature. I know that's available. I just never know how to, go to, the how to tell people how to find it. Uh-huh. Go, to oh, go to reactions. Yeah. 
and then I will lower my hand. I've only been doing these Zooms since 2020, so I should know this. By now. <laughs> so um, I almost didn't say anything, but um, you touched on it. So back in one of my tribes, I was in Bible school in Dallas, and uh, and um, I had all these grandiose ideas of what I was going to accomplish for God. And he um, he gave me like a waking vision. Um, and it was, I got to go to heaven and talk to Jesus. And he said, I never knew you. And I was just so crushed uh -oh. because I did everything right. Um, and so at that moment, it, made, it was clear to me that if I spent the rest of my life peeling onions and uh, loving God and letting him talk to me and do things, it was going to be good. And um, what happened was I, I read not too long ago, um, uh, I think his brother Lawrence. brother Lawrence. I think his name is Brother Lawrence. Yeah. It's this uh, guy in France uh, many, many years ago, a few, probably a few hundred, probably 500, I don't know, <laughs> years ago. And uh, he, it's called Practicing the Presence, Presence of God. Of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Such and a great book. he was known because of his love for God. And, and, you know, you touched upon that tonight. And I was like, that is like probably the number one thing that is attractive to people because they are so not loved. And um, one of the things that stood out to me is that it's, I see a lot of people and they're really gung-ho and they're doing evangelism, they're going out and they're touching a lot of people. But if you go to their houses, um, they're having a hard time with their kids. They're having a hard time with their husband because it's outward. It's not, it's, it's doing, it's, it's making something happen. So I really, um, I think when we think of being in God's presence to do something, it's a problem. And so I think it's it, like you were talking about this earlier about, um, and maybe I, I read something else, but it, I know the word baptism is also another word for it's, it's really soaking in so that you become something yes. else, you know, like you have the, 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 the cucumber and if it stays in the brine long enough, it becomes the pickle. Yes. So we're supposed to be like pickles. So we're like becoming <laughs> something else because we're so completely soaked with God that, um, yeah, we're just something else. And so I think that's the love we're trying to yeah. be, but you can't be it if you're, if you're not in the presence, but you're not trying to do something or make something. You just love, you're just getting love from God and that download. I would love to have that glowing face in the dark. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that has to do with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I, I don't know what it means, but I just, I can imagine that being um, in God's presence so much, not worrying about what you do with it, but rather just letting it be, um, that's where it's at. And, and that's, that's what I want, you know? And so, I mean, so I just love the conversations tonight. I think that's like, that's where we need to be is, is thinking about what's the real and what's the authentic yeah. and, um, you know, quantum physics is great and and it's all interesting and and what we can do with our sound and resonating that's beautiful yeah. 
but really just knowing the presence of God and starting to see that, like actually to walk outside and see the guy that's walking down, it looks kind of weird. And he's, you know, you don't want your daughter to walk to her, you know, to your sister's yeah. house because, you know, you know, but uh-huh. to see Jesus, to see him the way Jesus sees him. That's, yeah. that's what we're, we're, we got to go after, but that's, that's all I wanted to say. I love it. Pickle, pickled in the presence. That's great. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, when, G- when Jesus said uh, uh, baptize, one of the other world preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It, it's it's strange because it's like he uses a term that everybody understood only from one guy, and that was John. John invented baptism. I mean, it was like brand new, like, and he and there was no biblical precedent for it. He's baptizing people for the remission of sins. He had a father who was a priest, but the priesthood never sanctioned that. You were supposed to burn something, not dunk it in the water. I mean, that was like a whole new invention. So John's doing it. And when Jesus talks about what we're supposed to do to the nations, he goes back to John. But it wasn't what John was doing with just everybody in the river where he's essentially baptizing, looking for the Messiah. It's what happened to Jesus. Jesus goes into the water, the voice mm-hmm. of God comes, the Holy Spirit descends in him, he comes out in, the, in this identity shift, where now yeah. he can actually go into the wilderness, confront the devil head on with the power mm-hmm. of the spoke, the written word, mm-hmm. the living word quotes the written word to the devil, Jesus walks out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit. So when he says baptize him in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, in Hebrew culture, name is identity. We've taken it and made it an ordinance of the church where we get everybody and put them in a tank and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a moment for people. And for a lot of people, it's incredibly special. It's great. But really, I think what Jesus was talking about is take everybody through the exact same experience that I had when I went to the Jordan that day, where the power of the Holy Spirit and literally the voice, the sound of heaven resonates in that moment. And I come out in the power of the Spirit. So I say to people, if you... If you got baptized, you were supposed to get saturated in the identity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if that didn't happen to you, then you just took a public bath. So, I mean, it's a symbol of an ongoing reality of what's supposed to happen to us. And that is a lifestyle of being pickled in the glory. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. Pickled in the glory. Jen Cushman, is that you on a Samsung phone tonight? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Did your iPhone break? <laughs> um, no, I've never had an iPhone. I've always oh. had the Droid. <laughs> oh, I'm interceding for you now. Call oh, the intercessors. I, <laughs> I know. We actually just, it's so funny because I wasn't going to say anything, but when you had said, you know, think of a time when the Lord, um, when his word came forth. And I was thinking of the time that um, Greg had a brain tumor and long story short, he was healed. But um, two years after he had the tumor, he had a grand mal seizure and he dropped to the floor and wasn't breathing. And I remember sitting, um, he actually had said goodbye to me and the boys. And he said, I love you and I'm leaving. And um, he dropped to the floor and he wasn't breathing. And I was beside him 
And I said, God, I need your word. I need your word. And he took me into a vision where um, I watched God breathe into Adam's lungs. And so I said, okay, God, you breathe life into Adam. You can breathe life back into my husband. And all of a sudden he started choking and gagging, coming back. And by then the EMTs had come through and had said, how long has he not been breathing? And I said, I don't know. And, um, but that was the most powerful encounter that I have had where the word became actually living Come on, and brought life to my husband. So, you know, I just flash back to that when you were, when you had asked that question, I was like, wow. Okay. It's been a while that I have visited that, um, marker in our journey my husband and I's journey. And I have, I have a favor to ask of you then on the strength of that testimony tonight, would you pray for all of us to experience the life of the written and the living word in Mm. in such a way that the resurrection power of heaven flows through us as we live and move in this beautiful. Yeah. 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 God, you are so good father. And we are so grateful to be your sons and your daughters, Lord, the ones whom you've called to send forth into the environments that you have us going into daily, Lord God. And Lord, I just speak right now over all of those who are on this Zoom, Lord God, that they encounter the life-giving word that will bring life not only to them, but it will bring life to those around them, those that they love, those that they encounter, Lord God, and and the bodies that you have them in right now, Lord God. They will bring life into those environments, Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, bringing those manifestations of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And for that, we are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you all tonight. Wow. Thanks so much, Jen, for sharing that. Yeah. Hey, are you going to be at the uh, meeting in Alton Bay? You're welcome. Are you going to be? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good deal. All right. (laughs) We'll see you there. All right. Take care. Love you all. Have a great evening. Take care. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye.